now where it is now, everybody wants a piece of the market. <laughs> oh my God, that is funny! I don't remember asking you a thing. I'm funny how? I mean, funny like I'm a clown, I amuse you. With all due respect, what the f*** are you talking about? Oh, I'm sorry, did I break your concentration? What the f*** is so funny about me? Tell me. Tell me what's funny. You represent the idiocy of today. I did not know that. English motherfucker, do you speak it? Are you listening to me? That's my shit together. That's my shit together. Nice personality combination. Hostile and intolerant. So that's that's it then. No one else really knows anything. Hello, Wolf Bex. Hello, Wolf Jack. Sometime, huh? Mister Mipper on the board. S&P futures up eight, Nasdaq futures up forty-four. Maybe a little bit of a, a little bit of a bounce today after two uh, pretty nasty days to the downside. Uh, we have Mr. Lewis. I believe I am here. Yes, you are. But how are you? I'm. Uh, I'm good. What? Uh, what's rolling? Um, well, the Fed's rolling a little bit, so the market's kind of rolling down. And we had this uh, big sell-off a couple of months ago, and then a huge run back, and. Uh, let's just put it this way, Lou. The, I think the Fed gave everybody their last chance to get out. At least that's some people's opinion. Uh, I don't know. Some, I think most people did not take it. They thought they were being justified by staying in. We'll see which works on that. Hey, uh, last week um, when you were on, we talked about a whole bunch of stuff, and uh, I got a bunch of tweets, not well, I got emails, and they said, hey, where's Lou's Ukraine report? He's our man. And we forgot to talk about Ukraine last week, so we got to at least mention that today. Um, uh, last I heard, I mean, I don't get the story that you do, is that the Russians have sort of pulled back to regroup, to reload, or whatever they're doing, but they didn't go back to Russia, did they? No, the the uh, intel stuff that I'm seeing, um, and, and I, I follow, I guess I follow three or four Ukrainian sources, at least two Russian sources, and then a whole bunch of international observers that, that track this stuff. So, so what happened was that the uh, logistics, in, you know, incompetence of the Russians basically uh, doomed their uh, their initial approach because when they they couldn't get the coup de main executed, the decapitation attack in Kiev executed, they did not have the uh, the supply and equipment push behind the initial advance to sustain that group in the field for more than a couple of weeks. And so the initial advance was significant. They moved in. The Ukrainians following an age-old sort of strategic move the Russians have executed themselves many times, created space for time. They, they backed up. They let the Russians come in. They didn't try to stop them at the border. They allowed them to send their salience into into Ukraine, when those salients ran out of gas, literally and uh, sort of metaphorically, they then began systematically attacking and destroying the, the equipment and, uh, and killing the Russian soldiers. Now, this has not occurred, you know, without without cost. The the Ukrainian civilian population has been has suffered terribly. Um, I, what I find fascinating about this is. The way the, the Russian military is behaving right now, and, and I, don't, I think I, I think I made this, told you this story in, uh, on the air one time, but the way the Russian military is behaving right now is very similar to the way the Russian military behaved 
in, in the Second World War when they moved outside Russian territory. The, the pillaging, the murder of, of random murder of civilians, the, the basic thievery and, and undisciplined conduct that you know, we're seeing in, in various places was, was, pretty, was pretty typical. Um, the story I, was, I related several years ago was something that when I was working in Russia, one of my uh, business colleagues, who was a retired Russian uh, lieutenant colonel, a Podpokovnik, uh, said after the Gulf War, and we were talking about what happened there, and he said, you know what the most impressive thing about, about America, the American Armed Forces, is during the Gulf War was for us in Russia? And I said, what? And he said, President Bush picked the phone up and and ordered a cessation of all combat operations. And we were aware of the we were aware of the call. And within an hour, maybe, all American combat units had stopped. They had they had stopped moving forward, they had gotten the order out, everybody had stopped on a dime. And that was it. That would never have happened with the Russian, with the Russian force. There would have been fighting going on for days before before Russian units finally managed to disengage, or they finally finally got the word, or they finally just decided to to follow instructions. Really? And I, I, I yeah, I found that I found that very telling. And and I mean, and this guy was not this guy was not some. You know, junior officer. I mean, he actually had worked at the at uh, the Russian general staff headquarters before his uh, before his, his retirement. But he he said that that's the most impressive thing we, we've ever seen. That kind of command and control. And he goes, we don't have it. And I think you're seeing evidence of that evidence of that now in the way that operations are being conducted. On top of that, you you see the. Um, you see the most bizarre kind of you know, fallout from what the Russians are doing. The, the mass murder of civilians, and, and, and I'm not, I mean, that, that's what it looks like. I'm, I'm just operating on what it looks like. I'm not taking any of this as confirmed until we get some more um, sort of unbiased fact checkers in there. But to pull out and basically have scavenged Every piece of equipment, every appliance, every everything you could possibly get your hands on, taking it back to Russia to to pull out and kidnap a significant portion of the civilian population and forcibly repatriate them to Russia to basically do this kind of scorched earth operation. I mean, is this is this going to promote a diplomatic solution? Uh, I'm thinking what? no. No, what the Russians are doing, what the Russians are doing, violate the laws of armed conflict that have been in existence for for over a hundred years. And and one of the, you know, when we used to teach this stuff at at the war colleges, as a as an attorney, one of the things that we would teach is, you know, these law, the laws of armed conflict that don't shoot civilians, that that don't rape, pillage, burn, kind of school of thought is not just moral. As, as far as we can make conflict moral, but it, but it's politically smart because if you do that to a, to an area that you've invaded, if you come in and and burn everything to the ground and and shoot the civilian population 
and murder the civilian population, kidnap them, pillage. The only thing you're going to do is you're going to strengthen the resolve against your your operations and make a final, you know, non-genocidal solution almost impossible. If you're if you're some Ukrainian or or worse, if you're some Pole or Lithuanian or Estonian, and you've seen what happens in in eastern Ukraine and or nearest around Kiev, you're under no illusions about what what it's going to be like in the Russian occupation. And and if the Russians decide to do something, you're going to find yourself facing a civilian population armed to the teeth that has absolute feels that has absolutely nothing to lose. Um, you also drive you drive Finland, Norway, and or Finland and Sweden into the arms of NATO too. By the way, Lou, just as a as you are speaking, it says here confirming Lou Michaels, Washington Post news alert: Germany says it's intercepted Russian messages on indiscriminate killings in Ukraine, undermining Ras- Moscow's claims it wasn't involved. Yeah, I mean, I mean, this is. I don't want to sound. I don't want to sound like I, I know very much because I don't. This is War One Hundred One. There are certain things that you. Everyone comes back. I think to to, to Clausewitz, the German the German military uh, general staff officer and scholar. You know, the reason you fight a war is because you have political ends that you can't get through diplomacy or or some other less aggressive means. So the ends of war are always political. There's always some foreign policy or, or diplomatic goal at the end of a war, and you have to you have to be thinking about that all the time. And, and this is what makes the the Russian conduct so inexplicable. And it's it's yet another reason why this is a terrible, I think, a terrible miscalculation by by Putin. Uh, and and. I mean, so there are several in this in this picture. The first is that his military either misrepresented its capability to him, or or um, he was blind to the, the capability of the of the Russian military. But but imagine you you've dropped you know hundreds of billions of dollars on a on a, a military organization. You turn it loose. You unleash it without. Um, you know, without a lot of restraints on the ground, and it's unable to to complete its objective. It gets it gets stopped by basically a ragtag operation of irregulars and um, and and you know, not very well organized forces. Well, there has to be some people. There have to. Be, I mean, back when when Russia was the Soviet Union, was what what, not some of their best divisions come out of? Well, their best, however good they were, weren't they Ukrainian divisions? I mean, there's got to be a lot of people in Ukraine with some military experience. Um, I think I think there are people in Ukraine with weapons experience. I don't know about quote, what we would consider to be quote military unquote experience in the sense that they could be part of an organized, um, you know, an organized defense. And and remember, it's a lot easier to defend. You don't have to have the kind of overall coherent military structure to defend an area that you do to conduct offensive operations and and this this I referenced an article um, early on in this process about what was happening to the Russian Air Force 
I mean, Russia has a very technologically advanced uh, air force, but the, the Russians have always looked at their their air forces as kind of a flying artillery. They've never really thought of conducting or their, their doctrine has never really embraced the idea of a, a, what we consider to be a true combined arms operation that combines the the mutual and overlapping strengths of ground forces, air forces, uh, heavy artillery, armored divisions. They have a the, the, the Russian military philosophy has always been attack and mass and and overwhelm on a wide front. And where you see a breakthrough, where you see a, a, a push and some success, you reinforce that area so that you you get you build success on success as you as you attack. But their their offensive philosophy has always been uh, you know an en masse kind of a formation and and attack. That that's one of the reasons why in all the war games that, that NATO played back in the. 70s, 80s, and uh, and even into the 90s, a Russian a Russian attack on on NATO almost inevitably devolved into either a chemical weapons attack or a nuclear response by by NATO because it it just simply did not have the equipment to uh, to deal with what was coming across the border at uh, at its forces. Well, but the logistics appear. I just. You know, right, you, you well, well that, that's it. All that, all those logistics in, in in the Cold War, their logistics operations were much better. They had all of their stuff forward deployed. You know, they didn't have they weren't they weren't coming across uh, supply lines that were hundreds of kilometers long. Their supply lines were a lot shorter. Well, I mean, what you're, what you're talking about, I, I mean, I've never, un- well, fortunately or unfortunately, I mean, I didn't have the experience, but I also didn't get a chance to get there and get killed like you did. Uh, I. I mean, you, you look at the, the German behavior during World War II and Hitler's hatred and brutality towards not only, well, mostly the Jews, but everybody else he could possibly find that he didn't like. Uh, the logistics, Lou, I mean, there, you read accounts of the army couldn't find a train, but they always found a train for the concentration camp. I mean, he, had, he basically killed six million people, five and a half of which probably would have helped you if you just would have left them where they were. I mean, the, the stupidity and the logistics... Is almost well, not almost at all, but I mean, it's it's almost as incredible as as the brutality. And how the hell does a does a Russian? How do you how do you be a good soldier when you're wasting half your time looting stuff from people? I mean, what do you? I mean, is that what you do all day? I mean, how do you, what do you do? Stop the convoy and run into somebody's house and grab crap? I mean, uh, and how do you get it back I mean, to Russia? I mean, basically, basically, that's what was happening. They were they were stripping houses of appliances. What, what do I do? There, with there, are anecdotal, there are anecdotal reports about wives and mothers and, and family members messaging their their Russian ground troop brothers or fathers or whatever who have who had gone forward into Ukraine and saying, "Try to find me a nice air conditioner." Right, how exactly? <laughs> try, to if, me, if try to get me. Try to get me a decent television set. I mean, it is. It. it it, it's like a it's like a thirteenth or fourteenth century concept of of warfare. Well, Lou, if 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 we're in a group of Illinoisans, Illini, that invade Indiana, and I'm in French Lick, Indiana, and I see a washing machine, I like how the hell do I get it back to my house in Chicago? Well, your unit your unit is not 
devoted necessarily to full combat. Your unit and a substantial portion of the logistic support for your unit, you know, consists of vehicles that you can load up with this stuff. So I can't get and, gas to the front line, but I can get a washing machine back to my house. That that's part of it. <laughs> I mean, I realize I realize this sounds this sounds crazy to us. Yeah, and and, and it and, and counterproductive. But but part of the part of the incentive for the for the Russian people going forward was listen, this is a chance for us to get some decent consumer goods. Uh, it it's almost like. Uh, did you did you see the Sasha Baron Cohen film Borat, the, the movie no. about that was supposedly about Kazakhstan, his visit to the United States when he was the ambassador from Kazakhstan? No, I did not. Well, I mean, it, one of the scenes in there early on is that he's his neighbors are all jealous of him because he's got a clock radio. <laughs> God, you know when he leaves. When he leaves, one of his one of his neighbors smiles at him. You can say goodbye to your clock radio <laughs> because he's going to be gone. It it it's almost like that. It's almost a parody, and yet this is this is perfectly consistent with you know sort of Russian military doctrine. This idea it, it when you have when you have a a society that is as civilly corrupt as the Russian society is. When you have a society that top to bottom has a government that engages in acknowledged theft, when you can't get anything done without bribing somebody or, or paying off some government official. And that, that pretty much was Russia, with the Russia I did business in up until 2000. The only difference now is that the, the, the system of bribery is a little bit better organized through, through the, the government. When you can't do any of those things, your outlook on civil service or service in the military turns from one of accomplishing a state mission, you know, your your national purpose, it turns from that to what's in it for me. Well, this is uh, this goes back, I mean, kind of so long. I remember I was taking Latin in high school very early on in, in Roman history when they would attack some place there was one there was a there was a place called uh Sabinia or someplace and there was a there was a deal about the they ran in and they they fought the, the whoever these guys were fought pretty bravely so they basically lost like half the guys in uh in the fighting or something so then of course the Romans swarmed into the town and there's all all these women with no no husbands not that they cared one way or the other so everybody rapes all the women's women women's uh and uh all of a sudden, like a year later, you got all these like Roman kids there, like on top. I mean, talk about a way to take the place over, huh? I mean, <laughs> well, yeah. I, I mean, I mean, that's what what's happening in Eastern Ukraine, it, right, and what will happen in Eastern Ukraine. What's happening on Mariupol? And you remember, by the way, I said early on they were going to go for Mariupol and try to get that corridor, that land corridor, all the way to Crimea established, which they've done. Um. I mean, what's happening in places like that is is basically they are they are russifying those areas. They are removing the Ukrainian population, taking them back. They're kidnapping children, taking them back to Russia. They're gonna they're gonna put them in in cars in Russia. This, by the way, is perfectly consistent with Ukrainian with Russian recent Russian Soviet Ukrainian history. And and when the war started, when the Second World War started, um, 
Stalin, there was a large German-speaking enclave in, in Ukraine. I may have mentioned this before. Stalin basically, and, and again, remember that, um, you know, there, there's a war on. There's lots of logistics issues. Stalin took the entire German-speaking population of Ukraine, kidnapped all of them, put them on rail cars, and shipped them to Kazakhstan in Central Asia. The entire population just just took them in rail cars, shipped them back to Almaty, Kazakhstan, and dropped them right there. Well, I always thought that Hitler was the worst guy on Earth. I always thought Hitler and maybe Paul Pot were the two worst guys on Earth, but I'm not so sure that Stalin isn't breaking into my top two the more I learn about the guy. Oh, oh no. China China and, and the Soviet Union, as communist governments, killed, you know, beat Hitler by, and Pol Pot by, you know, factors of a hundred. Really? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. I mean, Hitler, Hitler's, first of all, Stalin had no love for the Jews either. No. And, and And, in fact, one of the, one of the theories that surrounds his death is that he was killed by um, his own people because he was about to launch a pogrom against uh, against uh, Jews in in uh, the Soviet Union, and that that they, that was the final straw. But no, Stalin was no fan of the Jews either. But the forcible relocation of Ukrainian populations is not something that that that's something that's happened within the living memory of of people in Ukraine right now. Yeah, I'm saying. So, yeah, and, and so this is, you know, the, again, the Russians start doing this, and everybody looks around and says, "Why? Why would we surrender? Why would we not? Why would not Grandma and Grandpa grab a gun, or, or get issued a gun, a gun, and shoot every Russian soldier they have an opportunity to shoot when they come in?" Well, what the? So having said all your this, invasion, uh, your invasion force, your invasion force of a hundred thousand people is not nearly big enough for a country of 25 million. Okay, but now, how, how exactly, how does it end, Lou? I mean, how do we, I mean, I, I uh, as much, I'm, you know, I don't know what somebody else would have done or what I would do or whatever, but it, it seems like, it, it seems like, uh, and I, you know, much as I berate, uh, the, well, the previous administration and this one for their economic, uh, uh, faults in my opinion I'm not so sure anybody could have done I mean putting the NATO group together we got some people in NATO speaking out that never did before I'm not so sure that our guys haven't done a pretty reasonable job at sort of surprising Putin with how organized the world is against him or am I wrong on that well well, first of all Joe Biden is not leading anybody anywhere and and that's that's just a matter of fact I think what you're seeing with NATO is you know the, the much as the prospect of a hanging focuses your mind very you know very effectively focuses your concentration the the prospect of a russian invasion if you're germany or poland or hungary or the baltic republics or norway or sweden or finland all of a sudden sharpens your focus a little bit on your foreign policy and you're looking around, going, you know what? I can't. Again, this is this this event, this invasion, was the eye opener of all eye openers for, you know, 
most of Europe. I'll tell you, it is for me, Lou. I'll be honest with you. I'm, well, well sure. Me. I mean, nobody, nobody, everybody, uh, it doesn't, it didn't surprise me that he did it, although I was surprised that they went all the way in. I wasn't surprised they invaded. I thought they would invade and go in, like, much like they did in 2014, much like they did in Georgia. I was with you on I, that. I was with you on that. The little, okay, this really was ours in the first place. Go away and the world would have forgot about it in two weeks. I, I was with you on right. that. So, so the idea that he would do this full-scale invasion and the opportunity we have to see the Russian military in op, in uh, in an uh, operation, everybody looks at that and goes, "Geez, Louise, these guys are serious." You know, it's 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 kind of like my cousin Vinny. Every every all all of my foreign policy lessons contain movies. You know, where where uh, uh, Pesci goes. You know, the judge says you got to wear better clothes here. Pesci goes, "You were serious about that?" <laughs> you know, it's, it's like he's it's like you're going. Wait a minute! You you were serious about, about all the stuff you've been saying, so so that has tended to focus everybody in Europe, and that, that's not our leadership. Louis, we got to go to break a, here, bud. Let's, let's hold that good. thought. SP Futures up five, Nasdaq Futures up forty four. Trying to bounce back from the last couple horrendous days. Uh, be right back, Stocks and Jackson. How much confidence do you have that your investments will make you wealthy? Do you truly know the odds? Welcome to Luckbox. The control freaks guide to life, money, and probability. Luckbox shows you how to gauge the likelihood of success before you commit to an investment or any other decision. And Luckbox is free for one year at luckboxmagazine.com slash jocks. Each new issue dives deep into the current investing climate, separates the signal from the noise with relevant trade ideas, and equips you with cutting-edge tactics you don't already know. Luckbox is the essential magazine for proactive investors who are hell-bent on pursuing life, luxury, and happiness through sports, fitness, travel, food, spirits, music, and a whole lot more. Smart investors don't bet on possibilities, they play the probabilities. Luckbox is $7.99 on newsstands, but you can subscribe for 10 free digital issues at luckboxmagazine.com slash jocks. Don't rely on luck. Get Luckbox at luckboxmagazine.com slash jocks. Hello, this is Tom Howell, the Chief. Confused about investing these days? I suspect you are not alone. Investing was never easy, although at times it may have seemed so. I think one reason behind the current concern, although maybe not explained as such, is how the fluctuation of the American dollar and the associated politics is affecting your investments and your wealth. It may not be enough to make some money in your investments. You may need now to make enough to exceed the amount that your leadership is depreciating the value of the dollars you've worked your whole life to accumulate. That same leadership has seen fit to maneuver risk-free interest rates to near zero. Providing positive risk-averse returns in a zero-interest and declining real-wealth environment is by far the toughest assignment I've ever had in my years as a money manager. I'm sure that a lot of you have heard that one way to possibly deal with this problem is to invest in so-called hard currencies like silver and gold, the idea being that they will retain their relative value in the face of devaluation of paper currencies like the dollar. To be honest, I have never been a gold bug. I've always had faith that having enough dollars and a good investment strategy was good enough. Now I'm not so sure. But I do know that if I did invest in gold or silver, I'd want to do it in the same manner as we do with PTI for investments in the market, with defined risk. If you feel the need to invest in gold or silver, we can do it using the same strategies that we use for our protected index program. No matter what you invest in, we feel that you need to know and control your risk. Find us at PTISecurities.com. That's PTISecurities.com. Is your business being challenged by the complexities surrounding healthcare reform or other matters related to human resources management? If so, then Cognos HR can help. A longtime friend and contributor to the Stocks and Jocks radio program, Cognos HR provides its clients with a perfect blend of strategic consulting and day-to-day HR management to drive overall improvement in business performance. Companies that join the Cognos HR family are better able to manage health care costs, enhance benefit offerings, and improve employee satisfaction by leveraging our access to Fortune 500 benefits. 
Our innovative onboarding and payroll technology, along with our constant attention to detail, enables us to provide the highest level of quality service to our clients. Now, your time and energy can be focused on generating business and increasing your bottom line. We'll take care of the rest. For more information, call us at 630-401-8810 or search us on the web at CognosHR.com. Cognos HR, innovation and human resources. Licensed in Illinois and Arizona. Stocks, jocks, stocks and jocks. You are out of control. Here, right now, right here, right now, right now. Hello and, welcome, hello and welcome back to Stacks and Jacks. I'm somehow Matt Byrne on the board. S&P Futures up six and a quarter. NASDAQ Futures up 42 and a quarter. Uh, so we're trying to bounce back from uh, yesterday's uh, sort of fiasco. Dow's up 21. Individual stocks in the Dow, uh, nothing moving all that much. A uh, little, little, little bit of green here. The only, uh, Salesforce up uh, buck 18. United Health up 238. Uh, nothing, nothing, like I said, nothing crazy. A couple of them down. Amgen down's a buck, but nothing, nothing off the chart. We're in Asia, Nikkei down 461, it's 1.7%. Uh, Shanghai down 46, 1.4. These guys like catching up to us yesterday. Hang Seng down 271, 1.2. So, uh, the, uh, China stocks are down, pretty much mainland China are all down, down more than 1%. Over in Europe, we've got the DAX up 95.6%. These guys were down pretty heavy yesterday. FTSE down 6, call that unchanged. GAC around up 41.6. It's a way of review yesterday. This is off our lows. The, the lows came when uh, the Fed said they were going to let uh, 95 billion, 95 billion run off the balance sheet every month, which is a little faster than I. Just, I didn't think they would say anything, but that's certainly faster than I thought. Uh, Dow Jones was down 144. S&P was down 43. Nasdaq down 315. So that's 2.2 percent, uh, pretty heavy for uh, two days. And the interesting one is the the uh, I've got the transportation average. I, I looked at I looked a little earlier yesterday, but I, I checked it before I left, and then. I got it down like 13% in five days, and that's unbelievable. I mean, it, all of a sudden, this economy, according to transportation average, is slowing down pretty heavy, uh, despite what everybody says. Ten-year, uh, 2.60, that's unchanged. The Bund, unchanged at 0.65. Japan, unchanged at 0.24. So not much going on in the bond markets this morning. Well, of a buck ninety-nine, but still ninety-eight twenty-two as it crashed down the last couple of days. Uh, Brent up a buck eighty-six to one hundred two ninety-three. We were at like one hundred five two days ago on this oil, so it's been pretty volatile. Natural gas up fifteen cents, uh, six eighteen. That's a big move. Natural gas, especially as rendering summer, not exactly winter. Our Bob up four cents to three oh nine. We've got gold up eight thirty to nineteen thirty-one. Kind of in this nineteen ten to nineteen fifty range. It's been hovering in here for no, for a few weeks. Silver up seven cents, twenty four fifty three. Copper down three cents, four seventy. And last, we got Bitcoin down forty three uh, bucks to forty three thousand six seventy four, down from the forty seven thousand highs of I'm going to say last Friday. Um, Matt, what do you got for us? Uh, traffic weather, sports. Yeah, good morning, everyone. It's currently six thirty six a.m. on April seventh, twenty twenty two. Let's get you into sports real quick. Uh, last night in the NBA, Bulls lose to Boston Celtics ninety four to one seventeen. Suns beaten by Cl- L.A. Clippers one hundred nine to one thirteen. And in the NHL tonight, Blackhawks play Seattle Kraken, and Coyotes go against the Vancouver Canucks. And big news today, the MLB uh, opening day, uh, Cubs will be going against the Milwaukee Brewers. That's uh, home at Wrigley Field. You can catch that at 1.20 p.m. Central Time. And the Diamondbacks at San Diego uh, Padres, 8.40 p.m. Central Time. Now on the weather, uh, Chicago, currently cloudy, 42 degrees, high of 44, and a low of 37. Kind of wet out there, so watch out for that. Phoenix, clear skies, 67. Get this, a high of 93 today. 
low of 65. Now on to traffic, uh, local in Chicago. Uh, traffic eastbound the Eisenhower between Wolf Road and Harlem Avenue. Traffic eastbound the Kennedy between Lawrence and North Harlem Avenue. Traffic westbound the Edens between LaSalle and Randolph Street. Traffic northbound on Stevenson between Illinois Route 171 and Kedzie. That's caused by an accident at Central Avenue and Exit 285. That's all we got, Chief. Back to you. The, uh, Lou, I used to go to a Cub opening days for a string of about 20 years, and uh, there were some really awful weather days, and today's going to be an awful weather day. There was one day, I remember, I actually, don't feel bad, I actually uh, had an opportunity, I'll talk about a once-in-a-lifetime opportunity, to talk to somebody that might have been as interesting or a little more interesting to talk to than Lou Michaels. Just oh, I'm I'm sure you wouldn't have any trouble finding somebody like that. Um, actually, I you could pretty much throw a rock in a street in downtown Chicago. No, 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 that's that's not the way I talk to. It's not the way I see it. But we actually it was a gorgeous day, which doesn't really happen. And we were walking out. I one of my buddies because uh, Big Dan and I split the four seats, right? So on opening day, we each got two and two. So one of the guys that worked with me, I brought with, and you know, places mobbed. This, this is this is at Wrigley. Yeah, places okay. mobbed. And we're walking out the uh, the gate right near the L stop, right? And of course, the, there's a huge line just to get out the gate. <clears throat> there's so many people with standing room only and everything. There's a little bar there that comes and goes. It was there for a while, then it wasn't there for a while. It came back under under the under the ivy or whatever the hell the name of the place was. So I go, look, rather than get in line, we might as well sit and have, we might as well see if we can have a beer. You know, imagine that. So uh, we walk in, and of course, the bar, the place is sort of mobbed. I'm looking around, looking around. There's a table with two guys, and one of the guys raises his hand and he waves over and he looks at, says, "Here's two seats right here, right?" And uh, I'm like, well, "That's you don't normally see people do that, the perfect strangers, right?" So I sit down and guess who the two dudes were? It was Paul Popovich. You remember him, second baseman on the Cubs back in this uh, '69 70 era, terrific Vaguely. ball player, and, and Leo DeRocher. Okay, that one I recognize. Yeah, and, holy cow! And, and Leo. You know, he was 80-something-something at the time, and uh, you tell the guy must have had 50 surgeries to, to take basal cell things off his head. But I tell you what, Lou, if the place didn't close, I'd still be sitting there look, listening to him. He was a riot. We talk about guys that knew everything about every baseball player. I mean, the guy, the guy came up, he was, he was on Babe Ruth's team, for God's sake. You know I mean? Yes. I mean, uh, he, I mean anything you wanted to he was He was fascinating, just fascinating. Um. You know, I, mean, was, I, I just I, you, so I, I'll, I'll flash back two things. First of all, I I remember so many lousy weather days walking from uh, from Union Station and coming down the street in a driving rain to get to the radio station at you yeah. know five forty five or whatever the heck it was when my train dropped me off there to get into to that. I just it seemed to me that there were. Like just awful weather days when I was coming in there. And then the second thing I would say is, if I was single, there is no place I would rather be than at Wrigley Field on a gorgeous weather day on oh, yeah. a mid-afternoon mid-afternoon game. That 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 place is that place was even when the Cubs were terrible. That place was the social mecca of of Chicago. Lou, when I was uh, when I was young, I first came to the training floor. Right, uh, the Cubs had. My buddy Big Dan, um, he had the, the upper deck, if anybody can even imagine this in this era, the upper deck was never open during the week. I mean, none of these, no, none of these teams 
had had a whole lot of people that come to came to these games. I mean, they were mostly day baseball, and people worked all day. I mean, you, I mean, you, you, you were there were huge fandoms, but even I mean, you, you ask why the Brooklyn Dodgers left New York. Well, there weren't very many fans. I mean, they, they showed up. They, there were massive Brooklyn Dodger fandom. Same thing with the New York Giants, the Polo Ground. But you, you had a day on a day on a Wednesday. You're talking six, seven thousand people. I mean, you wouldn't even know there was a game going on. I mean, yeah. I, I mean, they, they, if they were lucky to get to a, a, a year where they had a million people, was uh, was 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 a good year. And on Thursday was it Thursday or Friday, Ladies' Day? They're free in the grandstand. Every lady you show up, they got it for free. I mean, it was it was a totally different era. Even though you had spectacular players and people were just as maybe even more. I mean, God, everybody I knew as a kid growing up, you had your favorite players. I mean, you you, you live baseball, but if you got to go to a game a couple times a year, I mean, it was special. But anyway, well, that, that's right, and 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 you saw this. I mean, part of the reason this was like this, it was like this, is because there wasn't as much money right. in the game. So you could run, you could run your team on a on a stadium attendance of of that, yeah. because the player salaries weren't crazy, and and uh, you know all the other expensive factors that play in there. Well, and, and so Big Dan had a weekend and holiday package in opening day. It was the only time the upper deck was open. So then. Uh, I first came down to the Cebo. There was a what the hell is the guy's name? He was a, he was a coach at Mount Carmel, and then he went to coach Michigan. He became the the ticket guy at uh, at the Cubs, and he was there forever until he retired like five years ago and croaked a couple years ago. He uh, he's a good buddy of my friend Mark Duffy's because he was a, his coach at Mark. Anyway, he uh, so they had this thing at the Berghoff downstairs. Where they invited everyone from the trading floor to come down. They were going to have this new concept called the three hundred five games. Because the games were fast enough back then where you could actually start a game at 3.05 and finish in the daylight. I mean, you never could now. Because they, they were two and a half hours in, now they're three and a half. But uh, anyway, so we all go to the Berghoff, great food, free beer, and the, the guy's trying to sell you 3.05 tickets. So I sit down, Frank, what the hell is his last name? I'll, I'll think of it, some Irish name. And I sit down and I go, my buddy's got first row right here, upper deck. They're great seats. Can I get first row? And he goes, I can give you a first row in the middle or second row on the aisle. So I picked second row on the aisle. And I, and I, and I bought the 305 seats. I bought, it was like 15 games, man. Lou, you never, in, in your adult life, never saw the parties like a 305 game on a Friday night, long before the city ever even wanted to do it. Of course, the entire trading floors were there, right? Because you, the, you, know, you stop trading at 3 o'clock. If you have to yell real quick, you, you got there in the second inning. You know, so you didn't even work there for the start. The the what's the bleacher joint across the street? Uh, tells the name of the place. The, the, whatever, the, the, somebody's bleachers, raised that raised bleachers. Somebody, they just let them take over the whole intersection. They just put police just put some. And yeah. the the party in the middle of the street on a Friday night, Lou. If you weren't there, there was something wrong with you. <laughs> Every, yeah. No, no. I mean, the first time, the first time I went down after I moved to Chicago, the first time I went down to uh, Wrigleyville. For a for a late afternoon, like it was a, like a twilight doubleheader or whatever, I I could not believe the the crush of people there. Were all mostly young, yeah. All all single, all just there to have a good time. The baseball game was secondary, and then I I thought to myself, this is the genius of the Cubs. They have they have set up a money making operation that that. Bills revenue or prints money out here, regardless of how what the baseball is. The baseball games become secondary. 
And I remember some sports writer, uh, or it may have been Cash, but I remember a Chicago sports writer saying something to the effect of this is the problem for, for Cubs fandom. The baseball game is secondary. They don't, they don't really look for a winning team anymore. I don't know. I thought, I don't know. I thought I don't that was pretty interesting. I don't know if that was exactly true. I mean, for me, I was a baseball fan first, but I mean, the just the idea. A lot of it, but it was all everything was part of everything else. So that's, as you know, that's my. It's always my message in terms of economics. You, you can't pull one thing out of the picture. It was also in the eighties was the, was the first time young people were really starting to move into the city, and the people that worked at the board of trades and stuff. They they there was all kinds. There was more and more people that that area had huge growth. The CME went from you know not that very many people to thousands of people. I mean, all of a sudden you had teeming numbers of young people in the city. And in the late seventies, I mean, the only people who lived, especially girls, the only people who lived downtown lived somewhere near Clark and Division. It was the only kind of quote safe area, and virtually everybody there was a stewardess. Not everybody, but because you had the, the bus still here, there was no blue line. All of a sudden, you know, the, the city started to attract young people downtown, and the, and the Cubs were a spot to be. They were they were the place to be. It was they were easy to get to by the L. There were all kinds of places. Most people could walk home. I could. I mean, uh, it, it, it all it all kind of happened at the same time. Well, then then they said, well, okay, we're we're going to leave the upper deck open all the time. So they told Don and me, you guys both, you got to get season tickets or you lose your your tickets. So we combined. We I, I split the season tickets with Dan, and I didn't. So we were first row upper deck, and because uh, the three hundred fives were different than the, the different package, so we essentially took all the games, and uh, and for a long period. But you know, Lou, the first year Dan had the seats. Guess how much they were? This is nineteen. I'm going to say his first year was eighty one, eighty two, somewhere in there. All right, and so we're talking about a, a, a per game first per row game upper price? deck, looking right down the. Uh, Third baseline, one of the best seats. Twelve dollars. Three fifty. Wow! You put them in a CPI calculator right now, and I think it's like nineteen bucks, and they're like ninety. Wow! Yeah. Oh yeah. Well, yeah. I mean, I mean, this is this is the the same problem that you have with the NFL tickets. What's yeah. it cost to take? We we talked about this about like ten years ago. What does it cost to take a family of four to a Chicago Bears game? It's like it's like almost like eight hundred or nine hundred bucks. Well, yeah, but you and I also also one of the other changes in the demographics was in the seventies and eighties. If you and your if you you invited people out for work, you could just go out and get bleep face somewhere and, and and stumble home, and it was just your night out at work. So finally, it, it got a little more difficult just to take people out and get them plastered every night. Um, and there was some running, some big firms started to look askew at that, and plus they didn't want people drinking at lunch anymore. So in order to, to go out, you needed a, quote, a reason. So to just take four guys or ladies or whatever you're doing out to dinner and 48 drinks became became somewhat frowned upon. Yet if you had a skybox or you had seats at Wrigley, you could take them there and have 25 beers and it was okay. So there, yep. there was a, there's a serious change in, in, in I won't say the morality because you're, you're still out drinking, but, but you know what I'm talking about. I, I do. And I think that's, I think that's correct. I, uh, one of the things that I was astounded at, uh, the first time I went to a skybox and it was, man, sometime in the, sometime in the, early 90s I think 
I was astounded at just how much um, how much drinking there was going on. How much, how much liquor and everything else that was there. Well, the great chow, and the I, huge, huge, the dessert, the, the big dessert cart, and the whole bit. Yeah. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. No, I mean, I was, I was fascinated because, you know, I, I'd gone, I'd gone to, I'd been going to between eight and ten NFL games a year through all the way through, all the way through high school. And, but we sat outside. You know, this is a metropolitan stadium. We sat outside. We froze to death. We, we, we weren't, we weren't part of that other press box crowd. And, you know, but I sat right next to the press box and I could look into the press box and it didn't look all that great to me. I mean, it was a basic kind of empty place where a bunch of people, you know, had notepads and stuff writing things down. Um, and the idea that you would, you would have to pay or you would pay this huge amount of money to go sit in, I mean, basically luxury. Yeah. Uh, again, I, I didn't, I didn't enjoy it and I typically have not enjoyed it because the games, the thing that I'm there to watch, the, the, the football game, all that becomes secondary. Well, and, and also, and it, especially with baseball, though, and football, too. I'm going to say football, too, to a huge... It depends on how far back you... you like, in, in Mr. Matty Weber, he always argued with me about this. In his lifetime, there hasn't really been... I mean, it hasn't changed all that much. But in my lifetime, really has. I mean, if you went to Wrigley, I mean, look at the design of the place. I mean, not, not from a uh, you know, architectural point of view, but it, on a behavioral science point of view, there's really no no spot for your fanny other than your seat. Right? It's not designed for you to walk around and look at the girls or anything like that. It's designed for you to go there watch a ball game for essentially somewhere between an hour and fifteen minutes and, and two hours and fifteen minutes, which games used to be. And you and you get up and leave. You have your two beers, your hot dog, and you're done. I, mean, it, I, I used to go to uh, we used to take the bus from the south side, 102nd Street, low to, to Wrigley Field because. Uh, the L was in the black neighborhood, and my friends' mothers wouldn't let them take the L. You know, my mother had no problem with it. So we would take the Western bus. Can you imagine how long that took from 102nd Street to 103rd Street to Addison, and then over on Addison? We'd like go a to bus the, ride to Minneapolis. Yeah, we, we'd at the end of the game in rush hour, we'd be home for dinner. I mean, I mean the game the game started at 1:15, and it was over at uh, I'm going to say 3:15, 3:30. And uh, you know it's a horrible hour and a half bus ride. Oh, but the but now the idea is you got the game's three and a half hours long. You're, you're not happy sitting in that seat for three and a half hours. I sure am not. I mean, if, if I can't get up and walk around just to stretch the leg, I mean, now it's a, now it's a three and a half hour event. Oh, okay, the rich people, the upper do upper class. I won't say rich people. The uh, I just did. You you want to be entertained for three and a half hours? Enter the skybox. You can be in there watching another game, for God's sake. You're watching the replays. You're watching. I mean, it's a it's a whole different. I went to uh, my buddy Shanny gets me tickets in, in uh, whenever Shanny helps. Sometimes you got to wonder. Lou. He gets me tickets in Philadelphia. I was going to seeing some of the stadiums out in the East Coast, so I went to one in Washington. I go to the one in Philly. Well, my seat. Talk about the Bob Euchre seats that Shanny helps me out with. There's a huge bar there. I go to the bar, meet the bartender, buddy of Shanny's, and he gives me a. This ticket, and you actually can enter the stadium through the bar. I mean, it's pretty neat. My, my seats would have, at Wrigley, they would have been, I'm going to say, above Sheffield, about where, where the light towers are. <laughs> yeah. But you yeah. know what? Lou, there's nobody around me. There's nobody around me. All of a sudden, the fifth inning, all of a sudden, these young people, I'll tell you what, some very attractive young ladies, not that I noticed at my advanced age. Uh, you know what? They all come sit there for an inning, and they're gone. There's all kinds of places in the stadium for you to go and, quote, mingle. Like Baltimore, that whole area with the the uh, you know where the 
the old freight station is out in back. If you're a young person, you don't even go to your seat. What are you going to do that for? All, all, the, all the girls and all the, the beer stands are all in center field. Yeah, it, I, 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 you, you know what? Where else you see something comparable to this kind of uh, this kind of change in, in a setting is uh, airports. You know, it used to we you know, the, the air, airports. I, I, I have very clear recollections of airports in the '60s when I uh, when when my family would fly, uh, being very Spartan, you know, almost sterile uh, kinds of places. And and suddenly now, I mean, uh, going through O'Hare, going through O'Hare is like going through a, a little mini, you know, downtown dining uh, and uh, and mercantile emporium. Where where you can buy everything, you can eat whatever you want. I mean, Ooh, they want you there. They want you there. Two hours. Same thing here in Denver. This huge explosion of of facilities in Denver, and it's because you're not just going to get on an airplane anymore. You can't because of the delays. Yeah, you have you have to have a place to go. My uh, my my my, my attorney buddy was in Mexico. He came back to O'Hare. Was it Sunday Monday night? Lou, the line to go through customs was three and a half hours because virtually everybody is from Europe, uh, refugees and stuff. It's three and a half. We got how do you how do you that undermanned? I mean, we have fifty eight thousand people working for TSA. None of those people can cross cross train over into customs when you need them. No, trust me, they can't. Well, um, why 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 are we this messed up? <laughs> I don't I don't get it. The older we, the older I get, the more we can't seem to do the simple stuff. The uh, I don't know. It, it just, it well, just no, that's that's the essence of the essence of government. I mean, when I lived, there have been a couple of places I've lived in where I, you know the taxes I thought were were fairly high, but but public services were good and and things worked, and you you know you got to where you needed to go, and and in a safe and you know, relatively clean environment, and I remember thinking to myself, "Okay, fine, I'll, I'll pay." You know, I, I don't mind paying taxes because I'm, everything seems to be working, at least working reasonably well. You know, that that wasn't my impression when I moved to Chicago, and it, it hasn't been my impression in a lot of places. The the basic blocking and tackling, as we used to say, of of government providing public safety, providing sanitation, all of this stuff now is a struggle. And, and I don't, I don't necessarily know why. Whether it's we're getting, we're getting idiots in our in our, you know, leadership positions. I I definitely think that's true at, at a lot of our senior levels in government. When you look at at how our our senior bureaucracy or senior uh, uh, bureaucrats have handled things like COVID. I mean, I I, I look at CDC. I, I just read a, a book about you know the next pandemic, and it was written in 2018. So this guy's, this guy's, all the stuff this guy's writing about suddenly goes into into yeah. operation in 2020, and I I remember as I was reading and thinking, this was the way it was supposed to work. We had all these plans. Why didn't it happen? And, I, and why are we seeing why are we seeing the same stupid decision making? You know, Barbara Tuckman's March of Folly. Well, you why are the, we uh, seeing the March of Folly over and over and over again? With people whose entire bureaucratic lives have been spent to deal with precisely this, Lou, you, uh, we talked about this. I know we did because there, I, I spotted. I saw this lady on TV, and she was she was up there. She was no kid, and uh, <clears throat> she was talking about uh, every single administration from from like Eisenhower on 
his his sanctioned, ordered, whatever you want to call it, uh, a study of what to do if there's some kind of a pandemic. And she goes, every administration virtually, there might have been somebody who didn't do it because they used the last one. She she had a, they're stacked in front of her. She goes, if you go through them all, they're all pretty similar. You know, as times change, there's a little, you know, you can travel faster. There's there's maybe tweaks along the way. She goes, here they are. <laughs> that, that one of these was followed. <laughs> she goes, what are we, all these years, we we were just idiots, we were just wrong. And she goes, you could tell after after five or six of them, you know, whatever, people agreed with what the people said before and added to it a little bit, maybe tweaked it a little bit. She goes, not one of these was even pulled out of the drawer. I mean, wh- what is, hey, I got a, a quick, uh, real quick one for you, Lou. Uh, the, the uh, you look at, well, two things. We only got a couple minutes here. Two things. One is, I uh, went through the math the other day, and I did not like what I found. If you looked at the 2007-2008 real estate collapse, and the amount of harm that made with people, the, where it yanked essentially whole life savings out of people's houses because that's what people lost their down payment. Um, I think the numbers now, Lou, are worse. How how could our Fed? How could our people? That wasn't that long ago. It was 15 years ago, and these people are old, so it's not like they're they're 15, and you don't expect them to remember anything 15 years ago. How could they get us in the same place, only worse? And what is what is wrong with these people, Lou? I, I look at this and, and say to myself exactly the same thing with respect to all sorts of aspects of, of public policy. And I look at that, my, my response to that is people, I, I really do think in, in Washington and, and at the senior levels of a lot of state governments, there is zero strategic thinking. There is zero thinking beyond the next press conference. There is zero thinking beyond the next election, and and even or, or or not even not even that far. I cannot, for example, understand why the Democratic Party fixates on certain elements or certain social policies and programs that it it feels it must pursue and must promote in the face of widespread public dissatisfaction. The Republicans do the same thing. I'm just focusing on the Democrats right now because they've got the stick. Well, I, I don't, I don't here's, the, here's the million dollar question, Luke. And, and, are and they? It's not. It's not like there aren't you know all the warning signs for for you know some kind of disaster coming up aren't aren't out there. All right, Lou, you got 20 seconds. You got to answer this question. It's a tough one. Are they idiots? Or are they a reflection of us? They're not idiots. It's just that their priorities are not effective governance. Was it because we don't want to listen to you know, <clears throat> half the stuff I talk about economically? We'd rather listen to Jesse Smollett. Is it is is it is it a reflection of the people or is it a reflection? Are they just? I mean, when Clinton, he was the first guy to go in movie theaters, and when he did a speech, they would they would test the speech out on people, see what they wanted to hear. And he was—he's the most popular guy ever because he told people what they wanted to hear. No, I, I think I, I think it's a reflection. I, I think it is a reflection on us. I think it's a reflection on our lack of education and our lack of, of sort of thought process, and, and uh, the fact that we identify emotionally with these people and and then vote for them. I mean, I can't explain. I can't explain what happens. What's happening in Chicago right now? By any other way, I agree. There's I mean, no. We got to. We got to dash, bud. Have a nice way. You guys uh, shut off on skiing, or you got another day left? Nah, it's pretty much over. All right, bud. 
Take care of yourself. Uh, SP Futures up 7. NASDAQ 50. Be right back. This self-directed trading is a lonely job. Online trading is not as easy as point and click. No, it's not. Everyone, even professionals, need to share ideas and think out loud every now and then. That's what I like about PTI Pro Direct. Their staff of former option floor traders really helps me choose the right strategy for trading option volatility and plan the time to gain for my covered writing program. Yep, nothing can replace years of trading experience to stop you from making that dumb trade and for saving a few bucks. We've all been there and done that. <laughs> yeah, I have access to all that great trading advice and experience for just a penny a share for stocks, $1 for equity options, and $1 minimum a trade. Our clients at PTI ProDirect can call when they need a little help on a trade or just to talk about the market in general. We trade every day. We love this stuff. That's what I like most about PTI ProDirect. Cheap prices along with great advice from real floor traders. It's the best of both worlds. Tell your friends. That's PTIProDirect.com. PTIProDirect.com. Are you one of the millions of people who suffer with pain? Do you wake up in the morning with stiffness in the lower back or neck? Why are you using medication to cover up the symptoms without treating the actual cause? Painkillers, muscle relaxants, and anti-inflammatories are not the answer. At ChiroMed, physicians are trained to detect the cause of your symptoms and to correct the underlying problem. If you're ready to listen to common sense and do what it takes to make changes in your body that can affect your health for the rest of your life, give ChiroMed a call and set up a complimentary consultation. They're located in Orland Park and can be reached at 708-403-2727. 20,000 patients over 22 years have been treated at ChiroMed, and over 90% of them have had positive results without medication or expensive surgery. Isn't it time you did something good for your body too? Give ChiroMed a call, 708-403-2727. That's 708-403-2727. Let's get you pain-free and living again. Hear ye, hear ye! The Homer Broadcasting System is on the air! Stocks, jocks, stocks and jocks. You are out of control! Hello, and welcome back to Stocks and Jacks. I'm Tom Howie, Mr. Matt Byrne on the board. SP Futures up five, NASDAQ Futures up 36. It's kind of a, a tentative up here, considering how much we were down the last couple of days. But so far, we are we're up and we're trying to do it. Dan, are we going to hang in here today, or are we going to fall off a cliff? <laughs> I think we're going to hang in today. Uh, there's a few signs that are looking, um, you know, um, at least uh, not necessarily very positive, but they're at least looking... Um, uh, better than they have uh, recently. I mean, look at, we're looking at the um, yield curve, which has flattened quite a bit, but there's been a little bit of steepening. Um, and you know, I, I don't think I don't think we're headed for any major slowdown anytime soon. Um, the other thing, which is notable, which we haven't spoken about recently, but I think it's it's definitely a positive for the market, or it's definitely a positive indicator. And we talk about the spread, the high-yield bond spread, and that's the difference between the yield on the uh, high-yield bond index and uh, the yield on a comparable treasury. And that spread that we had spoken about, I remember we started by talking, you know, it was in the low 300s, and then it got into the high 200s. Well, then it widened out uh, about a month ago uh, as high as 410. Well, what's happened very quietly is that that spread is actually now back down to 327 which is a pretty significant tightening. And what that indicates is that there's less concern 
in the high yield market about default and less concern about a major, um, you know, or a recession or any, any kind of major slowdown. So although I do expect we're going to see a slowdown going forward, I don't think the bond market is telling us that right now. What, um, well, I mean, the, the drop we've seen, I mean, I'm trying to find the yield curves here. I had them, and all of a sudden they're giving me March and not April, but, uh, I mean, it, there's, there's been a little bit of an inversion, but for God's yeah. sake, it's uh, it's it's really narrow. It's like it's a couple. Very, very, yeah, it's very narrow, and it's you know I think the five year is is rate is a little higher than the ten year. But if you kind of go between the two year and the thirty year, which is what we look at, um, it's you know slightly steepened in the last few days. And and again, you, can, you know we're looking day to day at this. It's just you know these movements can change just as the movements in the equity market. Um, you know, change from day to day, depending on what the headline news is. My my thought on the equity market, on the stock market, is just that there's been this rotation. So it seems that there are certain days, um, and we had a period certainly when the investors were looking at the you know the larger cap um, tech names and saying, hey, you know, they've gotten cheap. This this isn't a bad time to step back in again, and then they run up. And people are taking profits, so they're 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 doing these sort of shorter term trades. In the meantime, on the opposite days, we're seeing the names that I've been speaking about really shining, especially the utilities. But we like, you know, we're income generated, you know, income oriented, you know, preservation of capital. We don't like a whole lot of volatility. So those names, although they may sell off um, a little bit from day to day, they're still on an upward trend and. You know, we talked about Black Hills. We talked about Otter. Um, those are names that have, that I think are utilities that will continue to do well in this environment. And um, you know, people are looking for ideas when you know all you can see in front of you is higher interest rates and and probably a volatile, a continued volatility in the equity markets, if not maybe a, a slowdown. And people are looking for opportunities. And these names that we've been mentioning in the you know til- utility sector, we think are really. Uh, you know, a good holds in here during the, you know, to kind of weather some of this uh, volatility. But yeah, it's tough day to day to know what's going to happen. And the market seems to, some days it seems to be following the news that makes sense and it, it's logical. And other days the news comes out and it doesn't seem to be following it. So, um, you know, that's why we focus on, you know, looking for income that's going to be generated during periods of, of um, strength or weakness in the, in the equity market. Well, we, uh, you're starting to hear, uh, well, starting to hear. You and I have been talking about it forever. But if you look at the yield curve today, if you if you if you dump the part between the 20 year and 30 year, which you know, I don't know how far out you go on that, uh, but I've got the 20 year at 2.81, and the only the only minor blips along the way here are is the uh, the five years 2.7, the seven years 2.69, and the 10 is 2.61. I mean they're they're real close. I mean, close, I mean, yeah. for the, for this, this this shouldn't be a topic of five hours on CNBC. I mean, no, uh, yeah, you know, absolutely, absolutely agree. You really can, you know, this is um, you can overanalyze it, and it's really a flattening, and it can change from slightly from day to day. But it's again, you know, we we talk about the secular picture, the big picture, and this is part of the secular trend. It's part of the late part of the business cycle, a part of the economic cycle, you generally see a flattening of the curve. Um, and you'll see an inversion when there's, you know, when there's more, um, 
see more confidence that we're going to see, you know, a major slowdown. And I don't think right now there is major confidence of a major slowdown, although we do hear people talking about it. Um, there's still a lot of cash in the system. There's still a lot of money out there. Although the Fed will start hopefully doing the right thing, they've been painfully slow <laughs> yeah. to doing what they need to do. And, you know, some people talk about them being too slow. You know, they're talking about, uh, you know, balance sheet reductions starting in May, and it just seems like May is not, not coming fast enough. Same thing with the rate hikes, you know, 50 basis points in May. It's already built into the market. It's already built into the bond market. I, I also believe it's already built into the equity market. The sell-off saw earlier this year that impacted a lot of the tech names that will, you know that know that they have some exposure to higher interest rates, negative exposure to higher interest rates. That is already built in at this point. So, so know, I, don't um, how, I don't know how it could be, Dan. You know, I mean, I, it, it would make sense. I, I think what, what happens when when somebody intelligent like you says something like that. You and I are bored with it, <laughs> so so yeah. so it's like we're not we're, we we know we're not the only two knuckleheads reading this paper. I mean, uh, it, it's right in front of everybody that there ought to be quite built in, and yet um, I'm not you know I don't listen to everything the guy says, but it, uh, Coop, uh, Cooperman was that two days ago. I don't know if you happened if you were yeah, enough yeah. to listen, and he goes he says he goes we're talking about it we're talking about it, and he had I don't know he had some research he had done that I hadn't done yet, and he. He said there's only been like three times ever where the inflation rate is higher than the interest rate. And he goes, we're not even talking, he goes, the interest rate's 1% and inflation's 10. He goes, we're not even in the same house. <laughs> he goes, how He goes, how the hell can that be built in? Yeah, I mean, there's a huge disconnect. There's no question. And, and you know, real rates are still, still negative. And um, so it's, what I'm talking about more in terms of being built in are the short term you know, like what's going to happen in the next few months, but they, you know, like like I'm saying, it seems like it's this process has been painfully slow, and that, you know, the the market is already telling you, okay, we've already built in May's uh, 50 basis point increase. They're not really looking that long term. So I think just as we're talking about individual investors not looking as long term as maybe they should be, especially if it's retirement money, um, which is what we do, looking long term, and uh, the market is, is, it seems to be more focused on what's happening in the short term. So, um, right now it's, you know, there's, there's, a, I would say there's at least a 50 basis point, um, rate hike built into the markets. But I agree with you, longer term in terms of looking at where inflation is versus rates, we're not there. I mean, we're, we're just, there's a disconnect. Part of what I think has happened is that people are anticipating that the inflation rate is going to come down. I'm not exactly sure how that happens or how quickly that happens. Um, I don't see it changing any time in the near future. I think there's going to be continued pressure from, from geopolitical, the Ukraine war, um, on the commodity side. That, that will keep commodity rates high. I think we still have, you know, very high housing prices, and although interest rates are going up, you know, mortgage rates are now at the highest they've been in a while, over, over 5%. A lot of the buying of new homes, a lot of the purchasing of new homes, especially where I am, and I might see more of this in, you know, in Florida, maybe people see it in Texas and Arizona as well, you know, places that people have moved to from up north that are paying cash. So we see a lot of cash buyers and that really aren't affected as much by, uh, you know, rising rates. 
and I think the the, the younger um, you know millennial age people that are looking for their first home have kind of found ways around it. They're not you know there may not be as much. Um, they are out there looking, there's no question, and they are um, watching interest rates very carefully. But I wouldn't say that's the largest percentage of buyers right now, uh, home buyers. So, so in terms of home prices, I think they remain relatively um, high. Um, so I think that keeps inflation because that, um, you know, there's a lot of things that are impacted by that. You know, as long as oil prices stay high, that's going to mean transportation costs are high. As long as raw materials you know, continue to remain high. That's going to put pressure on on companies as well um, that rely on um, commodities and, and other raw materials. And then transportation costs, which we talked about before. I mean, no matter what kind of transportation you're talking about, it's going to be higher. The costs are higher to deliver goods because of the cost of fuel, uh, whether it be freight, you know, or by boat or by, you know, by air. Um, it's it's going to be it's going to be higher. And I keep going back to what I've spoken about over and over again is just this this wage inflation, which I think really is the key to the whole inflation picture, and we are seeing that now. You know, we're seeing um, companies paying higher wages to attract employees, and um, and that's sticky. That 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 part of the inflation is sticky. They're not going to suddenly um, they may lay off people down the road, but they're not going to cut wages. That's, that's well, Dan. Here is a couple of uh, when you say it's it's built in. I Again, I, uh, I I wonder. I mean, like I said, I, I think it is with you and me. I don't. Right. Uh, I would say that the if interest rates go to five or six, which I don't see that as they're, they're not going there. If these if this inflation, so matter of fact, we had a. If you listened yesterday, uh, uh, Russell and I. And Russell is the professor, so I'm, I'm fighting with a professor, right? So I shouldn't be doing that in the first place, but because uh, he has a PhD and I don't. Uh, anyway, uh, but. But I, I will say this though, probably I have a little more, just because I was around more in the last time, last inflation go around, I probably have a little more hands on, uh, than, than he does, but theoretically he's got more smarts than me, but it, it, we had an interesting discussion regarding real inflation versus, uh, the CPI and, and published yeah. inflation, yeah. whether it's crooked or not, we, we put to the side for a bit, but in my experience, Dan, it's been, it's been very uh it, it's a it's a very lagging indicator and I, yes. right, and and and, uh, and Russell doesn't think it's that lagging i actually think that right now we we peaked we quote peaked out in inflation maybe a couple of months ago uh with because the housing prices going up everything going up and we're actually on the downslide a little bit but i think the peak number was really more like 15 or more and we're we're and we're sliding down from there, and, and Russell's convinced that we actually have, we have not peaked yet. And I, I think we have because in uh, I, in, it, in January I, the, the money supply growth was only, or in February was only four and a half percent. It had been thirteen, fourteen, fifteen for months, years before that. I actually think that if, if the truth be known, if we, if we had an absolute Photoshop of inflation every day, we probably were at fifteen when these idiots were telling us we were at four. And now I think they're going to start telling us we're at twelve and we're probably at eleven, because that's just that's just my experience. Doesn't mean we're going to be six or five anytime soon. I mean, so. But the Dan, another thing I want to push back a hair, not because I want to argue, but uh, I don't. There's unions in Chicago here that are that are fighting for wage increases, 
and they're they're way apart with their with the the places they're fighting with, right? Negotiating with, and the unions are looking for six percent a year over the next three years. Yeah, they have they they better wake up and smell the coffee. Yeah, I mean that, that's yeah, a, that, I mean, that's, that's a recession that's raise. Yeah, pretty I mean, extreme. That's a, I mean that's a recession raise. Inflation at ten percent, you and you're pushing for six, and you're not going to get it. They, they need they need to hire you and me as a consultant. Right. So just, I just, what are you doing? Six percent's okay if you got a cost of living raise in there with you. I, right. I, I haven't uh, heard of one of those of you. No, I, I absolutely agree with you on that, and I also agree with you on your prior point that I, I think we've peaked as well on, on inflation, and I think it's it's starting to come down. Um, and and again, I think things are. You know, we, we can kind of see the future a little bit more clearly just because of our level of experience and having been through this before and can, you know, remember back to the 70s, you know, so we have a lot of experience in this. And for a lot of people, even though they've been around, some of the people, say, on the Fed, I don't know that they're, you know, I, I, I think that there's almost too much caution out there to, you know, maybe two things. One is to really let people know what's going on, what's truly going on on the inflation front. And, you know, in terms of looking at the way it's calculated. Um, but people, you know, there's, there's too much attention, I think, focused on things like gas, whereas I think there needs to be more attention and focused on some of the other components of the CPI or components, you know, other ish areas like we've talked before that might be bigger ticket items like your, you know, your housing or your shelter, if you will, whatever, whatever you're paying for rent. So, so that will, you know, I agree with you that I think we are, we have come to, to a peak, a peak there. But then you got okay. You got to remember though that we, what we just said we're not my my view, and I think yours is the same. Is in terms of the numbers coming out, you and I are flat ass wrong. I mean, we we think we have we have quote peaked in reality, but if you look back on the CPI and don't do this, it'll just aggravate you. If you actually look at the CPI, you're going to see that uh, housing and rents in the last year or two. They've got them up three and a half to four percent, and they're really up what fifteen to twenty. So, so somewhere in in June or July or, or August, unless they lie to us forever, when you and I know the, that the housing prices have actually flattened out and maybe have come down a hair, that num- those numbers are going to start percolating through. So it's going to look like the inflation is huge, three, four, five, maybe after the election. Not that I'm conspiracy theorist. Somehow or another, those adjustments are going to have to come through, and, and you and I are right. It's going to it's going to come through six months after it actually happened. Right. And why okay. is why is that? Are they, are they is this on purpose? Is it is it just the way they do it? It's it's in arrears. I mean, how how the hell do you publish something that says in the last year, uh, your, your the cost of living in your home is up three and a half percent? And you and I would never. No, I, I absolutely agree. Uh, and. And I also agree, although I'm not, you know, I'm not taking those numbers. That isn't really the major, um, I'm not looking at the BLS statistics on, on when it comes to labor and when it comes to home prices. I think you really, there's a number, fortunately there's a number of different sources that you, that, that we can look at. And so I try to look at as many sources as I can. And also, um, you know, some of it is just what they call mosaic theory, just looking at what's going on around you. Um, and, 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 um, Yes, there has been a lot of cash in the system, so people have been able to pay the higher prices, say for homes or for rent, or even for gas. Um, for for you know, and, and then, the, but that's only for a period of time. And I agree with you; it's going to become more, you know, one, you know, six months from now, all of a sudden, some people have you no know, people will have adjusted if, if gas prices continue to remain high. 
but then all of a sudden these numbers come out that just don't seem to make sense when you know that things are already slowing down or that the that the uh, prices are, are starting to stabilize. And I think what happens in a, you know in, our, in, a, in the best case scenario is this competition. So you know you think more locally with things like restaurants, and you see that food prices have gone up. But you know I know going to a number of places in the area where I live is that you can still find you know good priced um, you know fairly priced uh, places with good service. So. Um, you know, some of it just involves looking around, and at some point, you know, the places that have the good service and have decent prices, fair prices, are going to win out. And um, so individuals make their own decisions over time. But but I agree with you. Then all of a sudden, we're going to see these numbers that are showing something, um, and then the mar- market will probably respond to those numbers. Well, and, and, and the Fed know. will be will be late again. They'll be right. squeezing the hell out exactly. of place after they shouldn't be. Exactly. One thing I wanted to mention, and, you know, I talked a little bit about, I, I like utilities in here, and I, I mentioned um, Otter, O-T-T-R, Otter Tail, which is um, a utility in, you know, based in Minnesota. They're, um, I think, a very well-run company, pay a decent dividend. Um, those are good, by, you know, if people are looking for names, that's a good sit on it and, and watch it gradually go up during this environment of volatility. Dan, well, another one I mentioned. Oh, Util- the utilities don't normally have preferred, do they? Not the ones I'm looking at because the ones I'm looking at are smaller. I'm not looking at the the utilities like the Dogo names or the larger ones. I'm also not looking at the ones because I know we had this discussion before that are based in big cities. Yeah, I'm looking at ones that are in you know more rural areas because or areas where there's been a lot of movement. You know, people moving to these areas. So they're not as they're not, a, they're not Black as Hills has done extremely yeah. well. They're you know they're in South Dakota, so that's. Um, but no, I'm looking at the common. The you uh, like the, you like the you know, dividends aren't huge, but they're still paying more than you're getting in you know on your on the you know the average dividend yield in the in the equity market. But what you're really getting here is stability. And you're getting the potential to, to, you know, gradually move up. I mentioned another name, um, a local name here, um, Alico, which is A-L-C-O, is the ticker. Um, land business, a citrus business. Citrus has maybe a few uh, headwinds with, the, you know, the, the price of fuel in terms of delivering the, the fruit. But the land business is doing extremely well, and they're selling off um, land, and they're, you know, in some cases making double and triple the price of this land, and, and that one pays a six percent dividend, and it's gradually crept up in this environment. So, just seeing, you know, the the, the uh, performance of, of these names, certainly owning these names has helped our performance greatly in the first quarter. Um, kept us in positive territory, and uh, some of the names we've mentioned in the past, which is this is the key point I want to make, is some of the infrastructure names like Mastech really solid companies that are really being hurt by the environment. And I don't think this is the, this is the time to sell, even though some analysts have, have, you know, downgraded their ratings on these companies. There's, you know, like we were talking about the lag, the analysts have downgraded the ratings after the, these companies have sold off significantly. These are the names that are going to bounce back. They're going to they're readjust, you know, as supply chain issues get worked out. These are going to be the first ones to come back. So, I, I would be patient on on these names. I would not be adding to them necessarily, but I would be patient if if, if uh, you're holding them. So Dan, what is a what is a company like like OTTR Otter? What what do they what are they paying on their bonds? I mean, what do, what do they have to pay for finance? I'm sure they must have some bonds. Uh, they do have some public debt. They don't have any actual pu- public debt. They they have bank debt. Okay. 
so I'm not sure exactly what the their uh, off the top of my head. I don't know their their uh, what they're paying on that. But uh, yeah, I mean, if they had bonds, I would you know if they were an attractive rate, I think that that that, that would be a great investment. Yeah, what do you uh, make I of? Still, uh, I still like the equity though. I still think they're you know in this environment I like the equity. Yeah, I was just I mean I, I didn't I don't really know I should know that's what I'm asking for is uh, these uh, smaller utilities. What is there? They don't have preferreds and a lot of them don't have big time bonds. It's basically basically just stock. Well, that's interesting. Yeah, you, you, yeah, exactly. And well, and that's part of the reason you know those names in particular that were financed with equity are you know have um, they, they don't fall into the you know the lower credit quality range and yet they you know they're competitive with you know, the larger or the, the utilities that are in larger um, uh, cities uh, that, that cover larger cities. But th- those those utilities have another whole set of issues to deal with. Um, you know, a company like Black Hills, for example, is not dealing with um, usage being down. Um, they're actually, you know, seeing usage uh, going up in a period like this because a lot of people have moved to... South Dakota and all that, where it's coming out of cities that say aren't you know where people aren't in the office anymore, you know utility costs, uh, utility no, no, rates guys, are coming down. These guys don't all these have to increase rates in a in an office building where you know it's going to continue to move that move people out. Do they sell stuff? I mean, are these are there's a place like that. Or do they, do they own any of the wind farms up in South Dakota and stuff, or not really? Or is that just other? Yeah, Otter 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 owns them in in. Um, in North Dakota, okay. they also have a manufacturing business that's that's separate, but it's actually been a cash cow for them. Um, you know, they have a small manufacturing business on the side, and and again, these are some smaller names um, that tend not to track the market and really don't always track the. I mean, they tend, generally go up when utilities do, but they generally don't track the utilities index as as highly as you know the the um, the large again you know. Um, utilities that service um, bigger metropolitan areas. Yeah, what do you make of a? Uh, you mentioned you thought, you know, some of the economy was still doing halfway decent. What do you, if if you're, I'm not, I'm not a Dow theorist of any real stretch, but what do you make of the absolute carnage in this transportation average in the last five days? It's down like thirteen percent since March thirtieth. I mean, and all of a yeah. sudden, all these companies are saying that they're they're down ten percent in some of their their, their trucking stuff and. Uh, the amount of uh, trucks going to be delivered this year to drop up a million to nine hundred—is—is it? I'm I wondering if this economy isn't slowing underneath all this stuff. Well, it, well, it is slowing. I mean, we, we you know we know that, and and, and that's uh, you know that's what we were saying. And I'm, you know, and I'm I'm saying that it's it's I don't see recession, but I definitely see that that there's slowdown coming. There's you know there's more of a slowdown coming, and and I agree with you on the transportation side. I mean, there you know you've got the fuel cost issues. It's also going to be affecting airlines as well. That it's it's you know, again, um, lately it seems like uh you know, a lot of people I've heard the stories of a lot of flights being canceled and it's not just in one particular location and it's certainly not because of weather. It's you know, there you know, the staffing issues are still there, coupled out with the um, higher fuel costs and supply chain issues which all impact um, airlines you know, you start hearing some good news so with cruise lines, and then the same exact thing happens there. Trucking companies have been under pressure for the same reason. You're having to pay higher wages, you know, having to find people and, and pay higher wages and pay higher fuel costs because a lot of independent truckers have to, you know, they pay the gas themselves. So those are all adding to the, you know, to the problem, and, and it's, 
you know, it's still working its way through the system. So I, I agree with you. The slowdown is coming. I mean, it's it's not going to be um, substantial. It's going to be. I think it's going to be gradual. Well, I have a uh, use the same word as you. I would say a substantial. I have some clients that uh, have uh, a lot of UPS stack, and you know, we have we have it protected. God's sake, Dan, we've been, we've rolled puts three days in a row. It was two twenty yeah. last week, and now it's one ninety five. Yeah. I mean, that's a long move. I mean, it's you know. Twenty-five bucks in a week and a half, or whatever. You know, that's a lot. It is a lot, yeah. And and there's, um, I think there's more to come. I think there's there's definitely more to come. It's it's, um, you know, again, these are things that you know we we're paying attention to, but it's not necessarily the market is not necessarily paying attention to. I, I kind of I think maybe the the best way to describe it is that I think a lot of um, investors just sort of look at what's going on on the surface, and we're digging deeper, and we're also looking at, you know, using experience to be able to make decisions on what's going to happen long term, you know, trying to make sense of this. This is, you know, this has been an interesting market and also a difficult market to make sense of based on, you know, uh, a lot of the, uh, a lot of what's going on in the world right now. And it seems that at times, I'm sure for a lot of people, you know, listeners, that, that it seems that there's all this confusion um, and I think just, you know, thinking about long term, thinking about the slowdown coming, um, trying to maybe reposition yourself to, to have a little more diversification and, you know, out of some of the, the higher growth names and maybe into, um, you know, some like, I use utilities as an example, but, you know, some, some investments that are more high quality and, um, you know, they're well, you know, Dan, is that what I mean, I, high quality. I think works in this we, environment. We got a dash here, but there's, I don't think there's any question that if uh, if if anybody can get to the point where um, you're getting them six or eight on something that's pretty darn safe, there's a lot of people who'd rather do that than have all their money in the market. There's no doubt about that. I mean, right? I mean, <laughs> we're, we're there already. Actually, yeah. we're doing. We're, that's about what we're getting already on the most conservative. Um, so, so yeah, I, I would agree. All right, bud. Take yep. care of yourself. Good, good you as too. usual. Have a nice weekend. SB Futures only down two fifty. Well, we're down now. Only down. We were up. Dan said we were going to stay up. He was wrong for a second anyway. Uh, SB Futures down two fifty. Nasdaq Futures down one and a half. Uh, not much, but we're not. The bounce is gone. We'll be right back. How much confidence do you have that your investments will make you wealthy? Do you truly know the odds? Welcome to Luckbox, the control freak's guide to life, money, and probability. Luckbox shows you how to factor in the likelihood of success before you commit to an investment or any other life decision. Your brain is smarter than your gut, and that's why you owe it to yourself to read Luckbox. We've made it easy because Luckbox is free for one year at luckboxmagazine.com slash jocks. Each new issue dives deep into the current investing climate, separates the signal from the noise with timely, actionable trading ideas and equips you with savvy investing tactics you don't already know all while exploring how to live your best life through music spirits food sports travel fitness and a whole lot more luckbox is the essential magazine for proactive investors who are hell-bent on controlling their financial futures it's for overachievers and alpha types who don't buy into wall street's investment gurus it's for mavericks who believe in life luxury and the pursuit of happiness it's for you smart investors don't bet on possibilities they play the probabilities luckbox is 7.99 on newsstands, but you can subscribe for 10 free digital issues at luckboxmagazine.com slash jocks. Don't rely on luck. Get luckbox at luckboxmagazine.com slash jocks. Hello, this is Tom Howe, the Chief. We've talked a lot on the show about risk and suitability, about how your portfolio should match your age, income, and risk appetite. It's been hard for investors to maintain that suitability in the last several years due to a Fed strategy that has driven interest rates to virtually zero. You may have even heard that the Fed was trying to drive conservative investors to a riskier portfolio on purpose for whatever reason. 
I'm sure you are aware of investors that took some increased risk, such as longer-term fixed-income securities, and are now unhappy with that choice. At PTI, we have always stressed total portfolio risk awareness and tried to minimize chasing returns in a tough environment. Well, now it looks like maybe interest rates are moving more towards historical levels. Everyone needs to be aware of what that continued movement might do to your portfolio, both good and bad. We also have a stock market that seems to have stalled, at least for the short term. I think it is time for everyone to take a serious look at their goals, their risks, and their portfolios. Do they match? If not, we can help. We have a signature protected index program. We have ways to hedge against interest risk. We can make that portfolio right for you again. Go to PTISecurities.com or call us right now. The market can change very rapidly. That's PTISecurities.com. Hi, I'm Audrey Johnson, an owner of Home Source Realty and a frequent contributor to Stocks and Jocks. If you're nervous about the stock market and considering diversification, or are looking for a rate of return way better than your banks, consider adding rental properties to your portfolio. Whether it's a condo, single family, or multi-unit building, I can help you select a property that meets your financial needs. Call or text me at 708-349-3456. That's 708-349-3456. Or visit my website at myhomesourcerealty.com. That's myhomesourcerealty.com. Stocks, jocks, stocks and jocks. You are out of control. Right now, right here, right now, right now. Hello, North Bay Stocks and Jocks. I'm Tom Howie. Mr. Matt Byrne on the board. S&P futures down a buck. Uh, Nasdaq futures just bounced before the break. They were down. Now they're up uh, 875. So we're, we're flopping around the flat line here about... We were looking like we were going up, and maybe, maybe we still are, but we dipped down there for a second. Uh, Dow futures are, are down 57, so not much going on there. Uh, in Asia, the Nikkei down 461, 1.7%. Shanghai down 46, 1.4%. Hang Seng down 271, 1.2. So reasonable sell-offs over there kind of following us yesterday. Uh, Europe, uh, DAX up uh, 63.4%. FTSE down 9.1%. Kick around up 38.6. So minor, minor bounce there. Very minor. Uh, Dow yesterday down 144. S&P down 43. NASDAQ however down 315. It's 2.2%. They've been getting whacked a couple days in a row. Of course they were, they were up Monday. Nobody else kind of was. So it's like they were down one day. They gave, they gave Monday back on Tuesday and then yesterday they were down. Uh, bonds, uh, unchanged at 2.62. Um, the, uh, that's, that's the 10 year yield. Uh, Bond uh, unchanged. Well, actually, they're up three basis points to 0.68. Uh, Japan up one basis point to 0.25. It's the highest they've been in really quite a while. Oil up a buck eighty, but still 98.03 as it crashed down yesterday after the after the show. Uh, Brent up buck uh, fifty five to one hundred two sixty two. Natural gas up fourteen cents uh, six seventeen. Arbob up four cents to three hundred eight. We've got gold up ten sixty now to nineteen thirty three. Silver up thirteen cents twenty four fifty nine. Copper down two cents, four seventy one. We got crypto. We got Bitcoin very quiet, up twenty seven bucks to forty three thousand seven forty five. Down about four thousand from a few days ago, but still up from before that. So it's been a new range of Bitcoin. Seems to be like thirty nine to forty seven. We'll see if it stays in there or breaks out. Now, what do you got for us? Uh, traffic, weather, sports. Yeah, good morning. It's currently seven thirty five a.m. on April seventh, twenty twenty two. First in sports last night, the NBA Bulls lose the Boston Celtics ninety four to one seventeen. The Suns beaten by LA Clippers 109 to 113. And in the MLB, Cubs open today at Wrigley Field uh, versus the Milwaukee Brewers. Uh, you can catch that at 1.20 p.m. Central Time. And the Diamondbacks at San Diego Padres, 8.40 p.m. Central Time. And weather in Chicago, currently cloudy, 43 degrees, 
a high of 45 and a low of 37. Expect some rain later on. In Phoenix, clear skies, 66 degrees, a high of 94, and a low of 65. Now to traffic in Chicago, not a pretty picture. Uh, heavy traffic eastbound the Eisenhower between Wolf Road all the way to downtown. Yeah, it's solid. You can't get through that. Uh, traffic westbound the Eisenhower between Costner Avenue and First Avenue. Uh, heavy traffic eastbound in Kennedy between Cumberland all the way to Lawrence. Traffic westbound in Kennedy between Lawrence and LeClaire to West Bryn Mawr. Again, heavy traffic uh, eastbound in Edens between Tuohy and Fullerton. And again, at Greenview and West Monroe. Traffic westbound the Edens between West Garfield and West Monroe. Traffic northbound Stevenson between Illinois Route 171 and South Kedzie. And finally, traffic northbound Lakeshore between Illinois 55 South and East Grand Avenue. That's all we got, Chief. Back to you. That's enough. Yeah. I'd turn back if I were you. Oh, yeah. It's not It's not looking good today. It's all red. Do we have Mr. Flanagan? You sure do, Tom. Good morning. Good morning. How are you? I'm fine. Yourself? I'm um, doing all right. So did you make some money on those puts you bought two days ago? I leave that to the experts. <laughs> um, I had uh, I work with a young guy, and he he's got some pretty good market feel. I mean, he, I mean he's a he's a funny guy. I love him, but he but he uh, uh, and one day uh, he he brings in a lot of money for this one firm, and uh, and they were shoving a bunch of money over to us to to put into uh, uh, a protected program. So I said <laughs> so I do on Monday. Okay, we we put. A lot of people in the spiders, you know, we, we had puts and calls, so we're pretty, we're pretty protected. And, uh, I said, what about, you know, we got guys we want to put in queues and some of the Russell. Don't put anybody else in. This is the biggest suckers rally I've ever seen. <laughs> we're, we're, we're be down tomorrow the next day huge. Sure enough, he was right. <laughs> Not, you know, I don't, I don't usually try and market time like that because if you, after all these years you're wrong so much, you don't even believe yourself, right? So you don't really want to tell anybody else what to do if you don't even believe yourself because, I mean, you really don't know. I mean, uh, uh, I mean, you, you can you can get a feel for the market in a small period of time, or you can you can sense when something's turning around. If you have a particular stock that you're watching for a client, whether you'd rather be long it or short it for a little while, but the idea that you can walk in and say that one's going up, that one's going down, John, it's just you lose that real quick when you start on the trading floor because you, you just can't. I mean, I don't know. I don't. Know, maybe well, there's maybe so there's, much that's not now up in the air, Tom. Yeah. Yet another um, even little foreclosure. Made the news the other day where Water Tower Place. I was going to ask you about that. Are they on the way in? What, what is that all yeah. about? Well, that's owned by Brookfield, who I believe is the same entity that owned 175 West Jackson until they gave a deed in lieu to the lender. Right, what does um, a deed a deed in lieu mean? Uh, it means that, that, that there's no possibility of curing a default in a you know a mortgage that's in arrears. And by mutual agreement, the parties, the lender and the borrower, work out a way to streamline a process outside of a foreclosure suit. So it makes it a quicker thing for the lender to take title to the property through what looks like an arm's length transaction, although it's not truly an arm's length transaction because it's the borrower who's deeding over the property, the security for the loan to the lender, and either extinguishing all of the obligations or most of them um, in a way that's agreeable to both parties. So it, it allows the the outcome of a foreclosure to happen faster and more cheaply than if you had a, a knockdown, dragged out battle with receivers appointed or you know, a borrower just walking away from the property and causing it to, to plummet in value. So it's a way of kind of stopping the hemorrhaging 
um, of the asset and letting the lender take over the property with whatever hopes it has or plans it has for reselling it because they, they don't want to hang on to it. You know, they, they just want to you know, get it turned around as fast as possible. They're not in the business really of managing these things. They're in the, in the business of making money or putting interest on the loan payments. Right, so if Jan Flanagan or Tom Howe or Matt Byrne bail on a mortgage, uh, they're going to chase us to our grave, I'm thinking. Uh, they, whoever the hell the servicer is, whether they, how aggressive they are, I guess, depends on the servicer and whether they can get out of the place at a decent price or not. So you're saying if, uh, if the place is, you know, $200 million and we decide we can't handle it and kick it back to the loan place like you would with a house, they just do like Hawk Harrelson, he gone, and that's it, we're okay? Yeah, if, if that's what, you know, your attorneys can reach an agreement on, if, if the property is underwater at that point, so if the, if the value has decreased below the outstanding balance on the mortgage, um, a lender normally would be entitled to getting a deficiency judgment for the difference against the borrower that would attach to other property they had and would follow them around for the statutory period. Um, that can be, of course, you know, put in suspension or, or taken off the table if it's an agreeable negotiation so it doesn't have to go to that um, and if, if the borrower has any hopes of, of surfacing from this or, or you know trying to manage other properties they can walk away without a deficiency so much the better for them and maybe the lender realizes that they're going to face a deficiency themselves because they can't sell the property to somebody else for anything close to the mortgage balance now um, and all these properties will involve some kind of devaluing as they must because they don't have tenants to, to kind of drive the engine of their economies. It's going to require some kind of th- rethinking. Um, do we really have a need for retail space in the quantity and in the magnificence that we're used to? I, I, I don't really see the tourism business sustaining a water tower place, let alone several of them. Well, Jan, if you, if so you have all the hotels that are there in McCormick Place and Chicago being a destination place and as long as people come here, they come here to shop. I mean, it's they always did. I mean, it's 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 like like New York, Fifth Avenue for God's sake. It's not there for some guy taking a bus in from Brooklyn. It's there because, you know, look at the people and, and that just bring empty suitcases to New York. I mean, that, that's what people used to do here until the place became a cesspool. Well, and it, with, the, with the, you know, collapse of the big anchor stores, I mean, Macy's withdrew from Water Tower. That was, the building was built around the Marshall Field store, really, in the yeah. 70s. Um, Macy's couldn't sustain it. They don't have the kind of sales or, you know, and, and crime and everything else kind of took its toll, too. So there, there may be retail spaces that will live again in these buildings, but they will not be of the size that we're used to. I don't think you're going to see the big kind of stores that even in Nordstrom's I think must be rethinking well, it, it was uh, Marshall Fields and where it did. was Marshall I, Fields I just don't see that as the future of that street or, or downtown shopping generally uh okay I mean, I mean I just I'm saying that there was a there was a uh, a lot of things and it seems like every day Jen uh, whoever my guest is my, my message always is that there's a million different variables that are going into this there's a there's there's a health thing going here. Now, I used to go to New York 
reasonably awful in China, and I would constantly run into people that were not even not even speaking English in around Fifth Avenue, and they'd, they'd get off the plane, and they'd say, "We got our personal bags. I mean, our, our, our per- we got twelve pairs of underwear and, and something else. We're gonna be in New York for ten days. Everything else we're buying here. I mean, we're buying the suitcases here to carry the stuff home in." I mean, it, you know, the, the idea of somebody coming and seeing a place like Michigan Avenue, if you come from Iowa or someplace, it's like, holy bleep. I mean, when, when it was Marshall Fields and Lord and & Taylor and all the stores upstairs, it was, I, I don't even like the shop, but that was, that was like, that was shopper's heaven, John. Oh, yeah. And, you know, in Chicago, you know, in its heyday, um, is it the, you know, the New York retailers, the Henry Bendels, the Bloomingdale's, all these places saw money to be made, and for a while they did make money. Um, but, you know, the expansion into suburban malls, you know, which Macy's did when they took over some of the field spaces, um, that's all been shrinking. These outlying malls are, are maybe in worse shape than Michigan Avenue right now, because Michigan Avenue does have the advantage of, you know, the vibrant city center, or at least the potentially vibrant city center. And a lot of these, you know, aging shopping malls like Chicago Ridge and Spring Hill um, are really in trouble. They, they've lost a good portion of their tenants and, and the likelihood of getting any big ones ever back again. So how does a place like that, you know, pay its bills? It, those well, are also, you know, lining up for deep and foreclosure, too. It's, all, it's not at all surprising. If they survive, they won't survive as big retail centers, certain, you know, that are centered around an anchor store or several anchor stores. But the anchor stores, I think, are vanishing pretty fast. Well, I, there's a, there's a real, ta- real estate, not, not that you aren't, there's a real estate expert that used to come in the, uh, well, once in a great while, I'd be driving around in the, the business news hour on, on uh, BBM, and uh, and they'd have a guy, who, it, it, this is, God, it had to be 10 years ago, Dan, he said, in uh, the, the, I said the Midwest or in the country or someplace, there's a, Hundred square feet of retail space for every man, woman, and child you know, that were reasonably overbuilt. But I was out. You, by the way, you were supposed to show up last night with the, the judges and attorneys, and you, of course, you did not. Uh, the uh, long story. I won't bore you with it today, though. I mean, that, that sack drawer gets more attention than any of any of this in, in town. But uh, anyway, so the well, one of the guys, they, these guys, all you know, I'm sitting there. They're telling me all about their vacations. And one went to Florida. One went there. I mean, everybody who's anybody went anywhere in the last three weeks uh, because of uh, they were cooped in from COVID, right? Anyway, but uh, one dude was telling me he's, an att- he's a, not an attorney, he's a tax guy. He went somewhere in Florida and all he did was stay in a hotel room and do people's taxes, but his wife and couple, wherever, wherever they went, I think they went to, where would all the where all the Midwest people go? Uh, on the Gulf side, that was the name of the place, Fort Myers or one, one of those places. Yeah, and uh, of course they're, they're all dry, they know every restaurant, couldn't get in this one, every golf course, but I'm kind of bored a little bit with that because I, I don't even like Florida that much. But he said, you know, the, the place they stayed is attached to this really neat mall and uh, he goes, the, the daughters and wife were shopping every day, bought all kinds of stuff. I mean, a lot of it has to do, I mean, if, if you're going to get 5,000 people here from McCormick Place for a machinery convention, and two thirds of them bring their wife, and are staying on Michigan Avenue. I got news for you: the wives aren't going. To, <laughs> this is not a sexist comment. But they're not. They're not going to go stay and look at the machines. They're here to shop. I mean, I mean, it, it's all about the destination place you're going. And if there's something new, and, it, and if you can, I mean, you don't get stores well like you used to have on Oak Street. You're not going to get those in uh, South Dakota. I don't think you know. Uh, but it, you're, but it's we've lost all of that, John. We've lost the safety. We've lost the. 
Hell, I remember going to the south side with my aunt. We'd, we'd take the elf from Loomis, for God's sake, and get into Carson's basement at Christmas time, and the the people were friendly. The place looked great. Even if you're not a shopper, it, it, it's it's a lot. It's way. It's let's just say it's different than you can try stuff on. I mean, it's not like shopping on. We, we've lost a lot of that. The safety, the idea. You know, why am I going to Michigan Avenue and get mugged? No, you're probably not going to get mugged. But still, it's it was no chance that that happened 20 years ago. Now there's some chance, right? Uh, you know, also, you know, not only did you have. Um, of, you know, a lot of options in shopping because there, there were 15 or 20 big department stores yeah. in downtown Chicago even when I was a kid. And before that, there were, I'm sure, more than that. But there was a real variety in the kind of merchandise they offered. There was a totally different, you know, conception of their client base and their pricing, the product lines, the buyers. All, all of these gave a real flair to individual stores and, and developed a strong loyalty and and you go where you have your need for a particular kind of product, knowing you would be more likely to find it at the fair than at Nano Brothers or Goldbeds yeah. or something. But now everything is so homogenized. There's, there's almost no. I mean, look at it in, in, in dining too. I mean, it's it's franchise central now as far as eating establishments in downtown Chicago. There's no affordable, cool, interesting, semi-shabby eating spots. That's all been transformed into Chipotle's and corner bakeries and whatever <laughs> I don't think are particularly appealing on a no, God, no. and if that's all you have well, you're not going to eat downtown period so all I mean shopping has become pretty much the same thing I fear because all the big stores have kind of gone except Macy's and I think Macy's is hanging on because yeah. they've had to well, you know, I, I, a lot I, of their I, space to, to I have zero, space I have zero sympathy for them um, because I love Marshall Fields and when you could, you took, I mean, when I was a kid, if, if you could go, what was the room with the, the big Christmas tree? Oh, the walnut room. Oh, yeah, the walnut room. If you, had, if you went and had lunch in there, you, it, it was it was special. And Macy's, the weird part of it, Jan, and, and Matt, is they, they did a big marketing survey when they bought fields hmm. in, in the Chicago area. The conclusion of the marketing survey was Chicagoans do not want the name changed. Exactly. What, what do you think they did the next day? Changing it, <laughs> and it's on. I said, "Okay, yes, that's what we wanted. You're doing just the opposite. You're doing it without me." And I've, I've never been once been in a Macy's. I'm saying these Irish people can hold these grudges. You know, it's a. You, you must know how that is. Well, that's, right? that's kind of loyalty that these stores had. Yeah, um, and and then they they thrived on that, and they nurtured it. You could see it in their advertising. Um, you could see it in their store windows. The, 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 the class appeal fields was like the top of the pyramid, but it always tried to have people come into its shop in its basement stores, which were low priced and you know very well staffed with helpful you know service people. They had a book department that rivaled Crocs and Brentanos. You know, all of these things that, that it, it aspired to, and it, it, it was a fairly democratic place to shop in spite of its kind of snooty reputation. Like, you know, it was a great place. Well, yeah, not, not to be a tourist for, for Chicagoans. Not too. to be an old... There's nothing like that now. Nothing at all like that now. Well, and there's nothing like that in any other American city either, really. Well, if you... Uh, you know, Don't accuse me of being an, an, old, an old sexist here, but I'll tell you what. In 19... When I was working with Pullman down here in 1979 or whatever, when they, when they brought me downtown to save me and then the place got got bought and we got fired. <laughs> so much for being saved. Uh... And we were at the, uh, how were we, 200 South? We were in the Borg Warner building, right? And, uh, one day, I don't know, I don't know, Robin or somebody talked me into going, uh, 
come on, I gotta go pick something up over at Fields. I'm like, the last thing I want to do on lunch hour is to go into Fields, right? You know, it's, sometimes you learn, Jen. I tell you what, you'd probably get kicked out for being like a lurker or something, but I, there couldn't have been any better, uh, shall we say, people watching in the world than the than the counters at Fields and at lunchtime downtown. If 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 there wasn't 500 of the best looking people in town in that place. I mean, you, you just walk through it in the wintertime, making believe like you're, you're just walking through because, because it was warm in there. My God, John. Everybody was in that place. I mean, if, uh, they had, I mean, all the ladies down here would tell you, the, the ladies at Pullman who shopped at Fields, they go, I don't even have to shop. My, my lady at Fields, if a new dress comes in, she calls me and says, this look great on you. I go over at lunch, I walk back with it. She's never wrong. She never screws me. <laughs> you know, I mean, the, the, the relationships these people, these places had with people down here. I mean, it, I, well, I'm, the, the, the tailors, you know, the people yeah. in the, the men's store, even. I, I was on a first-night basis with a couple of the courts there because I'd always zero in on them when I went there because they knew me, they knew my taste. And they, they, could, they wouldn't waste a second of my time or theirs Uh, real quick, <laughs> this is what I want to shout. I, when I first started on the training floor in the early 80s, Matt, you'll love this. I didn't do any Christmas shopping until Christmas Eve, right? So we would, normally we'd get off, you know, maybe a little earlier at Christmas yeah, last Eve. Last minute shopper, yeah. And, uh, so I would, I would hand my trading, I never did stuff like this to my employees, I always did my own stuff, but that's the one day I would hand my trading coat to my clerk and he would have my, my coat with me. And I said, I'll meet you at the sign of the trader in an hour and a half. And I'd hustle my behind over the fields. I'd go downstairs in the men's area. I'd find the polo guy or whatever it is. And, and take, would take me, my stepfather, my brother, and a couple other people. God, John, would take me, he goes, how big are they? What are they like? I mean, it would take me 10 minutes. Then, then I'd, I'd BS with the guy while, while some lady would wrap the stuff for me. <laughs> then I'd go in the other room where they had the discount Christmas baskets for the people at work and I'd buy some of those with the wine and the cheese and stuff and I'd load all these on my back and I'd head back to I was in the bar in an hour and a half <laughs> happy as a clap <laughs> you know, smart shopping <laughs> <laughs> I, mean, I loved it plus the place was they had every size every color everything I mean it was it was you know it was, it was so easy the thought of being online oh my God, why would I do that when I could do this there's a guy right here doing everything for me it was a different well, world of course, you know, the, the, what, we're, what we're really saying here too and the, the possibility of that coming down the pike again, to have that kind of personal shopping experience and anything like the richness you and I remember is long gone. And I, if it happens, it won't be on Michigan Avenue. I mean, I don't know where it will happen if it can't happen there. But I just don't, I see it being transformed into some kind of entertainment strip where it will not be shopping or you know, shopping as we understand the term maybe be for browsing, but it'll be more likely devoted to something, you know, that nobody's quite figured out how to make money on yet. But the, but the, but it will, it'll probably take over that stretch and it will no longer be a magnet for shopping because that's, that's not what people seem but, to be disposed to do. But Jan, my, as you know, my theme of, of, if anybody can figure out a theme of the show is, it's maybe what I learned in economics. So much stuff is happening. It's so many little things happen. That, that, that go to make a whole 
It's like the human body. So much good stuff's got to happen for you to be healthy. I mean, the idea of, in those days, not just women, but guys wanting to work downtown. Because if you needed a shirt, you walked across the street at lunchtime, you save so much time by being in a Mecca like that. If you, if you, if you come to New York, your wife wants to come with you because she gets to go shopping on Fifth Avenue, for God's sake. I mean, when, when you start taking pieces away from stuff, what is, what's the straw that you pull out to where all of a sudden nobody wants any of this stuff? And I, it's the it, story that my uncle told. You know, he was a traffic cop at Clark and Madison for years. And he said that when they demolished the block bounded by Dearborn, Clark, Washington, and Randolph for the Daily Center since today, when all that land was cleared, it killed the loop because there were, I don't know, he, he could count off on his fingers the number of theaters, restaurants, oh, yeah. cocktail lounges, greasy spoons, flea bag hotel, everything was there, but, but it was an entertainment mecca. And once that was gone and they built this, you know, beautiful, you know, office building, this home for the largest court system in the world with a, a big plaza out in front, well, you know, that's great for the Chris Kindle market and for speeches and everything else. But it's not a magnet for people to go and eat and drink. On Monday, on Monday, let's, uh, without you looking, because I know you'll cheat, without you looking, let's see if we can name all the theaters that used to be there and all the theaters that used to be at 63rd and Austin. I bet I can do most of them. Oh, yeah. Well, and they were, well, then that's where Bob Hope got his start. Yeah. It was at the, the Stratford Theater, 63rd and Austin. He gave that credit for his career. Oh, my grandmother said they would, they would wing tomatoes at him. They didn't like him at all. <laughs> my granddaughter used to play in the orchestra at those places too. She, really? I mean, she were around. I'd like to talk to her about it. Well, I remember the South Town was anyway. So, Jan, what we've had uh, two days now to market sell off. We've had the Fed coming out forcefully and say they're now they, they're really going to be going to uh, come May, and the market is sort of adjusting to it. I, I don't know. You can get every opinion on earth as to whether they've got it all figured out or haven't even started to figure it out. Uh, I'm more on the haven't started to figure it out yet. We had the transportation average kind of bombing here in the last few days, leading, really kind of leading the rest of the market down. Uh, what, do you, what do you make of this? Are, are, are these guys... Well, I'm, I'm concerned that at the top, it looks like Biden is being frozen out by his own party and being snubbed, really, at every opportunity. I don't see any kind of stability in this kind of a situation where after one year in office, it looks like everybody is treating him like a pariah. He certainly doesn't seem to have much ability to lead or to direct any of this. So you got a cabinet that's in disarray, and you got people like Buttigieg in, in positions that for which they're completely unqualified. We need stronger people than we, we have, and we don't have a strong leader to go out and interview them and hire them, it seems. So I don't know. Until we get some kind of stability there and, and some trust in, in leadership, I don't see any of this turning right, John, we, only, we only have 30 seconds. When, when is some... 50-year-old, serious, wrote, wrote a book or something, did something worthwhile, Republican going to break out of the pack and say, screw Donald Trump, forget that guy, I'm the new guy. Well, that, that probably, he probably had as tough a time as Trump did in bucking the system because the Republicans are just as entrenched as the Democrats. They don't want upstarts, Tom. None of these, neither of the parties really have any tolerance for upstarts. They want business as usual. So, you know, if, if it's somebody that rivals Trump, he will have just as hard a time as Trump did. This is scary. To carry yourself, yep. but we'll talk to you. Maybe I'll see you one of these days. SB Future, Future's down 6. The SB Future's down 21. Back tomorrow, Stocks and Jocks. Stocks and Jocks is brought to you by PTI Securities and Futures. 
go to PTISecurities.com. PTI ProDirect. Trade for as low as a penny per share and a dollar per option contract. Learn more at PTIProDirect.com. Nadex. Offering an intuitive way to trade the financial markets. Visit Nadex.com. HomeSource Realty. Call Audrey Johnson at 708-349-3456. Hamzi Analytics. Listen to Fari Hamzi every other Thursday and visit HamziAnalytics.com. Med. Back or neck pain? Schedule a complimentary consultation by calling 708-403-2727. DAX Research. Tune in for David Andelman's technical analysis on Mondays and Thursdays and call 1-800-821-4968. There's no crying in baseball!